0: Welcome. We hope you enjoy this recording from Christ City Church, based in Dublin, Ireland. For more podcasts and information on the church, please visit ChristCityChurch.ie. Thank you for listening. Luke chapter 9, verse 10 to 17. When the apostles returned, they reported to Jesus what they had done. Then he took them with him, and they withdrew by themselves to a town called Bethsaida. But the crowds learned about it and followed him. He welcomed them and spoke to them about the kingdom of God and healed those who needed healing. Late in the afternoon, the 12 came to him and said, send the crowd away so they can go to the surrounding villages and countryside and find food and lodging because we are in a remote place here. He replied, you give them something to eat. They answered, we have only five loaves of bread and two fish unless we go and buy food for all this crowd. About 5,000 men were there. But he said to his disciples, make them sit down in groups of about 50 each. The disciples did so, and everyone sat down. Taking the five loaves and the two fish, and looking up to heaven, he gave thanks and broke them. Then he gave them to the disciples to distribute to the people. They all ate and were satisfied, and the disciples picked up 12 basketfuls of broken pieces that were left over. Great. Pat's going to come and speak. I'm going to pray for him. Father, thank
1: you for this uh, this passage. Thank you for uh, all that it's taught your people through centuries and centuries and centuries about you being a provider. And uh, we pray, Lord, we learn today more about it, more about who you are and what you want to do in our lives. Uh, we pray,
0: Lord, give us open ears, open hearts, open minds to learn. And uh, may we receive what you have to give us today. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank
1: you, Steve. Thank you. So we're going to... We're going to need this as I preach. I'm, a, I'm afraid, despite the fact that I've spent six months working for a technology consultancy company, I still don't feel I have the skills to put together a PowerPoint deck to accompany my sermon. So sorry about that. That's probably more a reflection on my employer. Well, no, that wouldn't be fair. Um, but we're going to do it a very old-fashioned way, so just have one of these in front of you. If you don't have one, just uh, yeah, grab one off your neighbor or something. Um, so anyway, good afternoon. For those of you who don't know me, my name is Patrick Tice. I've actually been involved with our church since the very start, since back when we were just meeting in Stephen and Leanne's living room. Uh, But between uh, about, what was it, September 2013 and summer 2017, I spent four years at university in England. So I was only really partially connected to the church. Yet Since September, I have been in Dublin full time and am closing in on my first full year as a member of this church family. And I have to say, it has been a brilliant year. It has been a really brilliant year. We have a wonderful church family and it's a pleasure being a part of it. Anyway, a bit about myself before we get going. As I say, my name is Patrick, and I'm from Wicklow. I'm kind of sort of from Wicklow. I always do need to explain that one a bit. Whenever I'm at work or out and about, and someone asks me, where are you from? I always reply with the truth, which is, I'm from Wicklow. And they tend to look at me with the same eyes that some of you are looking at me now. And you can see them smile and be like, yeah, no, cool, man. Yeah, yeah. Where are you actually from? And I reply, yeah, I'm actually from Wicklow. And then you can see they sort of wince and think, oh, psycho, who's your man? The English bloke, he thinks he's from Wicklow, which is really unfair. It is actually really unfair because I actually am from Wicklow. My mum was born and raised in Wicklow. Her parents have been in Wicklow for pretty much forever and I've li- w- lived in Wicklow for most of my childhood. It's just like I come from this weird sort of little group of families from Wicklow who are born and bred there, but yet all sound like they're from Surrey or Hampshire or somewhere in a little county in the south of England. So we are, we're a weird little group of people. We do weird sorts of things like play cricket and go fly fishing. Um, I know cricket and fly fishing it sounds a bit sinister doing it in Ireland, but that, that's what we do. <laughs> Apologies, Vanessa, I forgot an Irish international would be here. But it's funny that Steve says, um, Steve says his son has never asked him for a fish, but I spent my life having to ask my dad for a fish because we'd spend all our holidays in the middle of nowhere in Ireland doing fly fishing, obviously never catching anything because it's impossible to catch fish in Ireland. Um, so I actually did spend a lot of my time asking my dad for a fish, but uh, yeah. See, Steve and Leander are a bit, bit more trendy than that. They're sort of South Dublin and take their kids to the RDS to watch Leinster play rugby and kill McCartney. You know, they're a bit more like up to date than my dad was, but different, just different styles, not one better than the other. Anyway, that's me, Patrick from Wicklow, sort of. Um, and you're going to have to put up with my English accent for the next 20 minutes, so hard luck. And what we're looking at today is Luke 9 10 to 17. Um, what a remarkable story! What, what, what a class story. Like it, what an absolutely remarkable story. And, and we're going to ask two questions of this remarkable story. Firstly, who? Who is this man Jesus? What does this passage tell us about who he is? And it's absolutely crucial that we understand who he is. Because if we want to respond to Jesus properly, then we've got to understand who he is first. So that's question number one. Who is Jesus? And then my second point, which will be a bit more punchy and, and more to the point, will be why, why does Jesus feed 5,000? He could have, he could have done any miracle in Beth Shida and said he chose to feed 5,000 people. So why does he do that? What can we learn from that? So who, who is Jesus and why? Why does he feed the 5,000? Those are our two story, Those are our two questions. So who, once more, Luke really, really, really wants us to get from this passage that we have in front of us, who Jesus is. That's a big reason he includes the story in his narrative. He's trying to communicate who Jesus is. And that's why a few verses later, you don't have it in your sheet, but a few verses later in Luke 9:20, Jesus asks his disciples, who do you say I am? So off the back of his miracle, he asks, who do you say I am? Because who someone is completely dictates how you respond to them, right? So you, you respond to your grandmother differently to how you respond to your boss at work, or in, in theory, I, I hope you do. But you, you, are, you understand that your grandmother is someone different to your boss. So you treat them differently. So who someone is impacts how we respond to them. So that's why it's such an important question to ask. Anyway, let's look at this account in front of us. Actually, before we do so, I just want you to flip to the back. To the back, we have, do you see there? We have, yeah, like if I was trendy like Steve, I'd have it on the, but anyway, it's just on the page, unfortunately. So Luke 1, 1 to 4, I'm going to read this first, really, really important. It says, many have undertaken to draw up an account of the things that have been fulfilled among us just as they were handed down to us by those who were from the first eyewitnesses and servants of the word. That's, that's key, eyewitnesses. He's saying he's using the eyewitnesses. With this in mind, verse 3, since I myself have carefully investigated everything from the beginning, I too decided to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, so that you may know the certainty of the things you have been taught. Such an important introduction, this. You see, Luke is saying that what we have before us here is a historical document based on eyewitness testimonies. Okay, now now there are absolutely stories in the Bible that are clearly metaphorical, that we as Christians believe absolutely ought to be interpreted poetically as opposed to literally. Absolutely, there's those passages. But not Luke's gospel. That's what Luke's saying, not the life of Jesus. Luke is saying, I am writing history. I'm using the eyewitnesses. I'm carefully investigating. He does not want us to interpret Jesus poetically. Okay, Luke is saying that this account which we have in front of us of Jesus feeding 5,000 people from just a few loads of fish, like that that obviously is just mad, isn't it? That is a miracle. And what Luke is saying is that it's a true historical event. That's what he's saying. Take, Take it or leave it. Believe it or don't believe it. But please, based on Luke's introduction, please don't try and tell Luke that you like his story, but personally, as an informed modern human, you think it's not to be taken too seriously as an actual historical event. No, 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 no. Luke doesn't give us that option. He, does, he doesn't want you to say that. Either believe it, as Luke says Luke, I believe that Jesus fed 5,000 people, or reject it as rubbish. But don't try and take up some happy postmodern middle ground. Luke's not giving us that. Because you see, we're told by other historical documents that Luke was a doctor. This guy writing about this miracle, he was a scientist. He wasn't a poet. He wasn't an artist. He was a doctor. So on that note, can I I just pause to address a real bugbear of mine, okay? A real bugbear of mine is my friends who say to me, and they're great friends. I I love them to bits, but I get this so much. They say, Patrick, I admire your faith, but I, I just can't believe the Bible. I can't can't believe Luke's gospel. I can't believe Mark's gospel or Matthew or the writings of Paul. I can't believe it because, you see, Patrick, I'm a scientific person, and I just don't believe miracles are able to happen. Get that the whole time. I bet you guys get that all the time as well. And whenever I hear that, I want to scream back, well, of course you don't believe miracles can happen. That's the whole point of a miracle, isn't it? It's something that cannot happen. That should never happen. We do not believe, all right, some of us may be a bit wacky, but we definitely do not believe that it is normal for someone to feed 5,000 people from just a few loaves and fish. None of us think that can happen. The whole point of a miracle is it's something that can't happen. 99.999% repeated of the time in human history, this does not happen. Because what is so frustrating is that the same people that say to me, Patrick, I can't, I can't believe in miracles, are generally the same people that say to me, if God is real, why doesn't he prove it? Well, that's exactly what's happening as Jesus feeds the 5,000 here. He is proving who he is by doing what only he can do. So people say, if Jesus is God, he should prove it. But then the same people say, I can't believe in Jesus because I can't believe in miracles. It's just so circular when my friends say this. So many people are stuck in this this circle of logic, and as a result, they'll never really see who Jesus is if they don't take his miracles seriously. See, what Luke is saying here by this amazing miracle is that once and once only, God's Messiah came down to earth, and he became a man. He became one of me one of you. Actually, in fact, that, that's not even fair. He, d- he didn't become one of me or you. He became lower than me or you. He became a peasant. He became a peasant in a washed-up, violent, poverty-stricken backwater of the Roman Empire. He became lower than me and you. But how did he prove all along it was him? Well, he performed miracles like no other. He did things, this Jesus of Nazareth, he did things that no person has ever done or could ever do again. Not even Harry Kane. And Harry Kane's pretty special, but that's a dirty secret of mine, that's support Harry Kane. Anyway, you see what Luke is saying is, is he isn't asking us to believe that people can do miracles. It's not what we believe. Luke is asking us to believe that only God can perform miracles. So what did it mean when Jesus fed 5,000 people in Beth Shida? It meant He's the creator. It meant this Jesus is the same one who fed the Israelites hundreds and hundreds of years ago when they were in the wilderness as well. It means he is the only one who can turn nothing into matter. Right? That's one of the key laws of science. You can't do that. You can't turn nothing into matter unless you're the creator. Then you can turn nothing into matter. So who is this? Who is this Jesus? It's the creator himself, the ultimate provider, the one who can provide everything because he's the creator. And once upon a time, 2,000 years ago, actually not that long ago, same era, late, later than Julius Caesar, much, much later than Plato, like really not that long ago, that creator walked among us. How utterly amazing, right? No wonder we Christians get so excited about Jesus. But the big question, as we look at this narrative, I've lost it, but hopefully you guys have it in front of you. The big question, here it is, the big question is, do the disciples really get this? So we read this and can see, oh, it's the creator. But are the disciples who are in it at the moment, do they actually really get this? And I actually don't know if they do. So verse 12, let me me read verse 12. Late in the afternoon, the 12 came to him and said, send the crowd away so they can go to the surrounding villages and countryside and find food and lodging because we are in a remote place here. Jesus replied, you give them something to eat. They answered, but we only have five loaves of bread and two fish. Unless we go and buy food for all this crowd... Now, so far in Luke's gospel, the disciples have seen Jesus heal countless sick people. Sick people, just just heal them. They've seen him turn an empty net of fish into a full net of fish. They've seen him calm a storm, so control nature. They've even seen him raise people from the dead. And yet still, here in front of us, they turn to Jesus and say, Jesus, we have no food for the crowd. We We can't afford to get them anything. After all they've seen, they just still haven't clocked it, have they? They just haven't quite deep down really got who Jesus is. Because if they did, they wouldn't be saying to him, we only have five loaves, what are we going to do? And At this stage, you kind of want to shake the disciples, don't you? You sort of want to grab them, shake the disciples and say, will you cop on, lads? Will Will you think about it? Think about who this man is. Think about all that you've seen him do. He's the creator of heaven and earth. He walks among you. Just ask him. He'll give you bread. He'll give you fish. He's already done it. Plenty of times in the narrative, don't moan and say we only have five loaves. Just cop on. That's what you want to say. I think that's what Luke wants us to to, to say about the disciples. Come on, lads. Have a bit more faith. But it's easy to look at the disciples, isn't it, and disapprove of their lack of faith. Disapprove of the fact that they haven't quite yet got who Jesus is. But actually, in our own lives, where do we need to shake ourselves and say to ourselves, Cop on, Patrick. Come on. Remember, Patrick, remember who Jesus really is. He provided bread and fish to 5,000. He can provide for me. Trust him, oh, my soul. Where do we need to shake ourselves and preach to ourselves? Well, so often in my life. Maybe, maybe at the moment you're really, um, you're beginning to put your identity and your value in what, in what your boss or your colleagues think of you at work. Maybe that's you. Or do you need to shake yourself and say to yourself, come on. The creator of heaven and earth lived and then died for me. That's how much he values me. It doesn't matter what my boss or my colleagues think of me. Or or maybe at the moment you're getting so wrapped up in your performance at, at college or on the sports field or in your family home that it completely dictates your sense of worth. Again, do you need to shake yourself and say, come on, Jesus is God's Messiah. He is the ultimate provider. He can provide me with all I need. I do not need to seek my affirmation elsewhere. Or maybe you find yourself living to prove a, to, to please a group of family or friends, living to make them happy, to make them proud? Do you need to shake yourself and say, "Come on. The Lord Jesus loves me so much, He died for me. He's the ultimate provider." Or, or maybe you're weighed down with so many anxieties at the moment: your health, your visa, your finances. Do you need to shake yourself and say, "Come on." the one who made everything around me, who can turn five loaves into 5,000 loaves, that one here in Luke's gospel, but he also promises to provide all my needs. So I don't need to worry about anything. He's in control. He's my provider. Because in so many subtle ways, we act like the disciples. And despite all the things Jesus has done in our lives and all the things he's done in history, we begin to forget who Jesus really is, who he really is. We forget his power, his sovereignty, his love. Instead, we worry, we stress, we moan. We only have five loaves, we say. We forget that our Lord is the Lord, the creator, the ruler of everything. So it's a challenge looking at the disciples, a challenge, I guess, not to be like them. But then again, it is also a comfort looking at these disciples. It's a great comfort to me. Because over and over again in Luke's gospel, the disciples get it so wrong. They just mess it up so badly like they do here. They just show so little faith. And yet it's these same men that go on to be the great leaders of the early church. It's them here. And so what does that show us? Well, it shows us that God uses people who mess up. He uses people who show little faith, who get it wrong. He uses people like me, people like you, people like the disciples. Just as I am all my fears and failures, that's who the Lord uses. So it's a challenge looking at the disciples. Do they really get who Jesus is? And therefore, do I really get who Jesus is? It's also a comfort. They don't, they don't always get it. And yet he still uses them for his glory. So Who? Who is this Jesus? Get it right. He's the creator. He's the provider. He's the Lord of all. He's the one that no one else has ever been able to do what he can do, what this one can do. Who Jesus is. Because all all I've just talked about, it all hinges on that question of who. And if we get that who right, then as we go and live our lives this week, we'll get right how to respond to him. So read this passage and think, who is this Jesus? As you see who he is, you'll see naturally in your life how to respond to him. But now my last point, and much shorter and punchier point, why? Why did Jesus feed the 5,000? Okay, so he could have chosen any number of miracles to prove his power, to prove who he was. And indeed, he did do a whole host of remarkable miracles. But here in Beth Shida, in front of these people, he chose to do it this way. Why did Jesus feed 5,000 people? Well, well I think the answer to the question is all packed into verse 17. So let's, let's get verse 17 in front of us. I'm going to read verse 17. Interesting, as I've, been, as I've been praying this sermon, verse 17 has become perhaps one of my favorite verses in the Bible. Verse 17, they all ate, it's at the bottom of the page, they all ate and were satisfied. And the disciples picked up 12 basketfuls of broken pieces that were left over. So what happened? They all ate, every one of them. And what were they? They were satisfied. And there was leftovers. This was a feast that didn't run out. You see, I think the most important message of the Bible, this is just what I think, I think the most important message of the Bible isn't just that Jesus came, it's that he's coming back. In fact, Luke tells us that as the disciples watched Jesus ascend into heaven, angels appeared, and this is what they had to say, effectively almost their last words as Jesus goes off. They said, men of Galilee, why do you stand here looking into the sky? This same Jesus who has been taken home from you into heaven will come back in the same way you've seen him go into heaven. Jesus rising again and returning to heaven is not the end of the story, says Luke. It's the start. It's not just that he came, said Luke. It's that he's coming back. What's the second last line of the Bible? The penultimate line, Revelation 22, 20. He who testifies to these things says, yes, I am coming soon. Amen, come Lord Jesus. That's the note, that's the cliffhanger the Bible is left on. The point is not just that Jesus has come, the point is that he is coming back. So what's this miracle? What's it all about? Well, it's a glimpse into what's going to come when Jesus does come back. When the Lord returns and brings in his kingdom, it's going to look like Luke 9, 17. Luke 9, 17, they all ate and were satisfied And the disciples picked up 12 basketfuls of broken pieces that were left over. First of all, there's going to be leftovers when Jesus comes back. This is a feast that never runs out. A feast with perpetual leftovers, an eternal feast. That's what Jesus' kingdom is going to look like. Death will be dead. There won't be death anymore. The kingdom that Jesus is bringing is eternal. The feeding of the 5,000 is a feast that doesn't run out. Life in Jesus' kingdom will be a life that doesn't run out. So don't get stuck in the worries and fears of this life. Don't get stuck in, in, in the worries and fears of, of the week ahead. Don't live your life to store up rewards in this life, says Jesus, over and over again. No, we're followers of Jesus. We're living for the next life, the next kingdom, the kingdom that lasts. Twelve basketfuls of broken pieces that were left over. Doesn't run out this feast. But perhaps the best thing about this kingdom, as, as, as I begin to close, the best thing about this kingdom is not just that it lasts, but that it satisfies Luke 9:17. they all ate and were satisfied. Everyone, they were all satisfied. When Jesus comes again, we will all be satisfied. Life in Jesus' kingdom is a life of satisfaction. And isn't that what everyone craves these days? satisfaction isn't that what our society has become one big crazed rat race of everyone chasing after their cravings desperately chasing satisfaction that's what my office is like that's what my sports club is like that's my friendship circles are like again like this is no criticism on anyone because that's what we're all like a hunt for that one thing that eludes us all full and proper satisfaction but it shouldn't be a surprise to us as christians this rat race it shouldn't be a surprise Because it says it over and over again in the Bible. That's what life not knowing Jesus is like. In Ephesians 2 verse 3 it says, all of us lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following his desires and thoughts. Gratifying the cravings of our flesh. That's what Paul says. See, when we didn't know Jesus, that is how we lived. That's why we lived. To gratify the cravings of our flesh. But the Bible has bad news for everyone who lives like that. The Bible tells us we will never satisfy those cravings unless we turn to Jesus Never. No amount of sex, no amount of money, no amount of booze, no amount of success, no amount of love, no amount of anything, no amount of any good things, not necessarily bad things, but no amount of them will ever satisfy in this life. Only Jesus. Only Jesus will satisfy us. They all ate and were satisfied. That's life in Jesus' kingdom. And in this life that we live now, It will always be a bit of a constant battle to to see that and to remember that. To remember that Jesus is the only one that satisfies in this life. But not in the life to come. So Jesus does satisfy in this life, absolutely. And absolutely the Bible says that the only way to true satisfaction here and now, tomorrow, is to trust in Jesus and seek after Jesus. But it also says that full and final satisfaction, satisfaction without these cravings that war within us, will come when Jesus comes back. And that's why Luke is so keen to stress that it's not just he's come, it's that he's coming back. As C.S. Lewis once said, if we find ourselves with a desire that nothing in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that we were made for another world. And indeed we were. We were made for Jesus' world. And the great news of Luke's gospel is that he's coming back to bring it in. And we're going to be a part of it. As I conclude, can I, can I just say that if actually, if, you, if you're not a believer here today, if this is all a bit new and all, all a bit funny, this idea that we actually do believe this miracle was a historical event, um, if you're sitting on the fence like that, firstly, thank you so much for coming. And you, you are absolutely welcome. Thank you for coming. And do come back where you do not have to have your mind up to, made up on things at all to, to be a part of our church family. But ho- hopefully you've realized that a huge pillar of our faith is the historical credibility of the Bible. So the question is not can miracles happen, but did miracles happen? Is this true what Luke says? How, how can we actually believe this? Um, I I was fortunate enough to study theology for four years at Cambridge University, and my my key subject was the historical accuracy of the Bible. So it's something that I can go on and on at length, and I do love to. So it would really humor me if you're sitting here and thinking, can I trust the Bible? How can you possibly say this is history? That If you'd come up and have a chat afterwards, I'd love to chat about why we can trust Luke's gospel, and indeed all the other New Testament documents. I'd love to chat about that. But but if you have to rush off, if you don't have time to come up and chat, why not open up a Bible this week and, and read Luke? Just start to finish. It's really not long at all. Why not do that and start thinking, can I believe that these miracles actually show me who Jesus is? Think about that. Who is this Jesus? Can I believe it? But if you are a believer, please remember this week who Jesus is. Remember he is the creator, the sovereign, loving creator, the Lord, God's Messiah, and he proved it. He fed 5,000 people from just five loaves. Remember who he is and let that dictate how you act and how you think this week. Jesus is Lord. He's my ultimate provider. Let's step out and have faith in him this week. That's what the feeding of the 5,000 screams to me. And then remember that it's not just that the Lord has come that's important. It's that he's coming back. And when he comes back, we will all finally eat and be satisfied. We will finally have satisfaction to the full. And we'll have it forever. So please this week, ask God, ask the Lord to help you not to chase satisfaction outside of Jesus. Remember that the story you're meant to be weak. We're like the disciples. We're going to mess up over and over again this week. So ask him. Say to him, Lord, I can't do this on my own strength. Ask him to help you find satisfaction in him and in him only. Because if there's one clear message of the Bible, it's that there is no temporary craving that is worth swapping for Jesus. We can't do this on our own strength. Ask the Lord to help you remember. Remember that 2,000 years ago, they ate and were satisfied. Beg him to remind you all week that he's coming back soon. And when he does, finally, all of us who trust in him, even if that trust is a little weak and a little wavering, all of us, I mean, it, of course, it's weak and wavering. Mine is always weak and wavering. If Even if that's us, even if that's you, still you're going to be part of this kingdom. He's coming back and when he comes back, we will all eat and be satisfied. Luke 9, 17, if there's one verse, take away. Luke 9, 17, they all ate and were satisfied and there were 12 baskets left over. Amen, come come Lord Jesus. So let's pray. Um, Lord Jesus, we thank you so much for who you are and we ask that we would trust you to provide this week and that we would remember who you are. And we ask that we would all be part of that kingdom where we will eat and be satisfied. Amen.